This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk traffic. Good afternoon to you. I'm Jason Kong. I have the pleasure, as always, of being here with Mary Lucas, of course, with Transitions Life Care. Uh, Mary, I know you're always very much into your playoff hockey. What's what's new in the garden? How, how are things going, Mary? <laughs> go Canes. Go Canes. Um, yes, the garden, the pool's opening. I'm so excited. <laughs> I have all the things summer. I am definitely a summer person. I'm just bring on the hot, sweaty weather. I'm excited. <laughs> Well, I'm I'm glad to hear that. I know you uh, you've always got something interesting going on, whether it's fostering dogs or uh, you've you've got a wonderful wonderful story. So, uh, but we've got a wonderful show planned for you today as well. And we, we thought that since May is ALS Awareness Month, that we'd spend some time discussing ALS and would be a short conversation if it were just Mary and myself here. So that's why we're pleased to welcome Desiree Hodges on the program. She's Vice President of Care Services for the ALS Association, North Carolina chapter. Desiree, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you guys so much for having me. Desiree, tell us a little bit about yourself and what brought you to the North Carolina chapter of the ALS Association. Well, my journey there is a little different than most people that work um, for the ALS Association. A lot of them have a personal connection Mm -hmm. with ALS. Um, My background is actually nursing. I'm a critical care nurse for over 20 years, and my background is cardiothoracic ICU, transplant, Mm -hmm. heart failure, that kind of thing. And so I was um, a nurse manager for many years. Uh, and then I, uh, of course, the pandemic hit mm-hmm. and just really looking for something a little different. I recently lost my mother to COVID um, and I was just, that was a devastating change for me um, in my life. And so I ended up, well, actually someone like reached out to me on LinkedIn and it just kind of went from there. And before I knew it, I was like, oh, my gosh, I think I'm getting ready to leave the hospital after <laughs> 20 plus years. But um, so that's kind of how I ended up at the ALS Association. Um, the team there is amazing. Um, Jerry uh, Dalton is our CEO and Dave Shore is our chief operating officer, who is my boss. And they were just so um, welcoming and passionate about the organization. And so I was like, I have to be part of this team. Um, I just hope they pick me and they did. So that's that's kind of how I got there. And I've been there since August of 2021 and I'm learning and loving every minute of it. I'm so sorry to hear about your mother and, and your journey here. And also May is Nurses Month. So happy Nurses Month to you. And thank you for everything that you've done over the last 20 plus years in our health system. You are so welcome. It has been very rewarding. So now while you're on this journey with the ALS Association, let's dive in a little bit there. What is ALS or, you know, some people hear Lou Gehrig's disease. What is ALS and what causes it? 
So ALS um, stands for amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. So it literally means no muscle nourishment. Um, and then the lateral part identifies the areas kind of on the spinal cord where the, the nerve cells, which are neurons, um, signal and control our voluntary muscles. And then the sclerosis, of course, is the hardening or scarring of that region. So it's really caused by the death of, moto, of our motor neurons. And um, when I say motor neurons, those are the nerves that tell our voluntary muscles to do what they do. Um, so when they die, the messages from the brain to our muscles are unable to be sent. So it causes paralysis of the affected muscles, not paralysis of the patient, but of those muscles. So the person loses their ability to walk, talk, swallow, and eventually breathe. Um, and so there's a couple of different onsets to that, and I'm sure we'll get into that as well. But it's an um, always fatal disease, unfortunately. There is no cure, um, which is why we work diligently on research to try and help find a cure. Mm. So what are some of the symptoms of ALS? You mentioned it's not paralyzing. I know that there are some symptoms that may appear that way. And how do these symptoms progress over time? I know um, right when you get a diagnosis of ALS, there is this uh, shock of, okay, what next? So how, what does the progression of this disease look like? And what are some of the symptoms that those with ALS are experiencing? So ALS is a little tricky. Um, so many people, they present in a couple of different ways. So about 70% of that presentation is limb onset. So it can start with hand, arm, feet, or leg weakness. So people may notice that their grip strength is a little weaker or they're tripping over their own feet because of what we call foot drop, like their foot mm -hmm. start, literally starts to drop um, when they're like lying flat. Mm -hmm. So it looks like you're pedaling, but you're not. Um, so that's about 70% of the onset. The, um, then there's also this onset called bulbar, um, which involves the bulbar muscles. Um, and it starts in the mouth or the tongue or the throat. Uh, and so people may notice some slurring of speech. It may sound like they've been drinking um, or they may have some difficulty swallowing. So that's about 25 of that onset. Then some people, a very small percentage um, of people have this initial trunk or respiratory onset. It's just that weakening of the trunk of the body or, um, you know, the weakening of the diaphragm. So they're, they're having this shortness of breath, this trouble breathing, and that's about 5%. Um, so it's very difficult to diagnose. Um, there is... Um, wait, you know, a lot of tests that mm -hmm. goes into to looking at, you know, the diagnosis mm -hmm. because ALS varies from other diseases. It it just because there's so many symptoms that mimic one another, mm -hmm. um, and there's no one test to determine ALS. So the diagnosis process is lengthy. It can take almost twelve months to get an actual diagnosis wow. of ALS. Um, yeah. So initially, many of the symptoms are attributed to other more likely conditions, Lyme disease. Maybe you've had a stroke. Maybe you've got some other type of neurological disease going on. But that's why it makes it so difficult to diagnose. 
and the progression of it is very different. I always tell the um, patients that we meet with or the persons living with ALS that we talk to on a daily basis that your journey is going to be very different from someone else's. Mm-hmm. So the progression of your disease may be is going to be different than someone else's. Some of it progresses really quickly. Some of them have a longer progression. Um, so that's what makes it a little bit more difficult to answer that question. Oh, yeah, definitely. It, it just seems like there's no rhyme or reason to it. And and when you were describing the symptoms, I'm thinking, well, that could look like a stroke. I mean, if you have one side of your body know, dropping, yeah. you just don't know. Yeah. So if you think you have symptoms of ALS, is it something that you should go to a primary care doctor for, or is there a specialist that that you should see to get a better sense of what's going on and to start the diagnosis process? So, yes. Yeah. So um, you can start definitely with your general practitioner and then kind of go from there. One of the things that we're actually working on is – this Think ALS campaign. Um, so we're working to, to identify different practices in the state, which there's a bazillion of them, you can imagine, um, where we're distributing a tool that can help them help as a referral guide for patients presenting with certain symptoms. And it kind of get, it kind of gives an algorithm for them to kind of look at to kind of think about ALS. ALS for so many years has and said, oh, it's very rare. It's only this. It's only that. But you can talk to people anywhere, like uh, around the state, many people and say, hey, do you know anybody with ALS? And a lot of people do. Like when I started working for the organization, I, I would meet people and I'm like, oh, I'm with the ALS organization. And they would be like, is that Lou Gehrig's disease? And I said, oh, yeah. <laughs> and they said, oh, you know, my friend's dad or my uncle or somebody they know had this disease. So it's more common than we think. Um, but that's part of the diagnosis piece to it. Um, the ALS Association, our, nat- our national organization, they did develop a working group, a diagnosis working group, which is where this Think ALS tool came out. Um, it came out of that working group. And their executive summary, I'll just kind of give you a, like just the first line of it, but it says delayed diagnosis of ALS can mean irreversible functional loss, access to disability benefits, and missed opportunity for interventions that can improve outcomes. So in knowing that, we really have to start looking at ways to diagnose this earlier. It doesn't mean that your practitioner doesn't know what they're doing. It doesn't mean that that you've been referred to a neurologist that has no idea um, that they know what they're doing. It just means that it's so complex and it takes a long time to diagnose. So we're working diligently to get this information out for people to start thinking a little differently um, so um, we can start to, to shorten that timeline of diagnosis. Being proactive is key, and that's why we think it's important to discuss this as May is ALS Awareness Month. We're speaking with Desiree Hodges. She's vice president of care services at the ALS Association, North Carolina chapter. And we're going to continue our conversation with her right after this. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. 
This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF with your hosts, Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. If you want to learn more about Transitions Life Care, go online to transitionslifecare.com. Org, transitionslifecare.org. I'm Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas. Our guest on the line is Desiree Hodges. She's Vice President of Care Services for the ALS Association of North Carolina chapter, and we're discussing ALS as May is ALS Awareness Month. And uh, Mary, last segment, we were kind of mm-hmm. doing a broad overview of ALS, what it is, what some symptoms are, why it's important to be proactive, but now we're going to focus a little bit more on the caregiving element to ALS. Absolutely. I think that there's some great resources out there. I wanted to dive into a little bit of them with you, Desiree. Uh, We've been talking a lot about symptoms and the progression of the disease. Is there certain equipment that can be potentially helpful for those with ALS, and is there resources available within uh, the ALS Association to assist with these? Yes. So once you, you, you know, you get your diagnosis, um, their symptoms vary, as we talked about a little earlier uh, this morning. But once you start to become, you know, having your frequent visits, a lot of ALS patients um, are part of one of our six multidisciplinary clinics within the state. And so what that means is when they go to the clinic, they see a, a myriad of team members, uh, people that work with their speech, um, their mobility, physical therapy, occupational therapy, all of these different disciplines. So they get this evaluation and they look at how they're ambulating, how you're eating, all of those different things. And any type of symptom or assistive device that you may need will be identified at that time. So it's not like we don't want people just like, oh, I have ALS, I'm going to go out and buy a walker and and go out and buy Mm -hmm. certain things. Um, We really want them to partner with their um, physician team and, and their care team to identify exactly what is needed. Once that need is identified, it could be anywhere from like a walking stick, a cane. We have these rolling walkers, power wheelchairs, um, different orthotics, different tools and things like that to help with eating and feeding and getting dressed. Because our goal is to keep folks as independent as po- for as long as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so if So a lot of these pieces of equipment can become very expensive. Mm -hmm. So what we offer at the ALS Association is a loan closet. So we have several loan closets throughout the state. Um, We partner with our um, DME, which is our durable medical equipment company, um, which is uh, Stahl's Medical. And we have, we partner with them as well as some um, Emotion, other different DME companies throughout the state um, to help get this equipment out to them. We have a loan closet. Wow. Um, what that means is that should your copay um, or should there be a del- that is too expensive, or should there be a delay in building and delivering your customized wheelchair or any type of equipment that you may need, we will bring that out to your home and, and as a loan item for as long as you need it Wow! at no cost. Wow. That is, so that is one of our programs that we offer. 
That is an incredible resource and something that I, I feel like so many don't know about in the community. So um, thank you guys for doing that and, and providing that resource. That's really incredible. So being diagnosed with ALS is, is very overwhelming, I can imagine, and it's devastating for uh, the patient, the caregiver, the family members. Where do you start after diagnosis? Are there any, you mentioned there's no treatment available, so there's not many treatment options, or, or uh, th- but you can do therapies, you mentioned. Where's the best place to start after being diagnosed as, as someone who is living with ALS? So there are some treatment options. Uh, there's no cure, but there's mm-hmm. still some treatment options. Okay. So there's, um, we do have three FDA-approved drugs that they that can be prescribed um, for folks uh, living with ALS. So the first place I think I would love for people to start with calling us at the ALS Association <laughs> um, once their physician diagnoses them, and um, and then they get connected with a multidisciplinary clinic, which is basically how it works. Um, we work very closely with our clinics. Um, we are present in each one of our multidisciplinary clinics in the state. Um, if we're not present at the day of clinic, then there is a follow-up, a wrap-up that we do, and we contact um, all persons uh, with ALS in the state to make sure that they have what they need. I always like to say that we're the gap fillers. So between what their insurance covers or disability covers and what's offered from the clinic, um, if there's any gap in there, we do our very best to fill those gaps in between. So the first place is hopefully getting connected with a multidisciplinary clinic because that is the gold standard. Um, Once you get there, you have a whole team of folks that will do a complete evaluation. You have your neurologist, your um, pulmonologist, Again, all of those physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech, everyone, there's a social worker that's there, um, and then there's a representative from the ALS Association that's there. Um, And that way, your treatment is tailored to you. It's not, because it's not like um, some of the other diseases that have stages, um, your treatment plan is tailored specifically for you. Um, So that's how you get help. Um, That's the first place to start. Um, and then once your needs are identified, then we work closely with the clinics um, and with your physicians to help you get exactly what it is that you need. That's wonderful. Yeah, so there are treatments. Are there clinical trials that are available for those with ALS? Yes, there are lots of clinical trials available. Um, and many of those trials are run out of our ALS clinics, but we it's not that you have to attend one of the clinics, so for example, we have um, we have our, our ALS clinic at Duke. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I'm a patient maybe at the UNC ALS clinic and that clinic is not doing this particular trial, as long as there's space for you, you can participate in any of those trials throughout the state. We have what we call our medical um, advisory council, which is one of the councils that I facilitate um, in the state where all of our medical directors from our clinics come together, we talk about what trials are going on in all of the clinics, mm-hmm. who has space. We update that list quarterly. Um, there's also trials outside of the state. There's um, also our biorepository um, ALS registry that we do nationally. So there's different 
tons of opportunities to participate in clinical trials um, and different types of research um, if one is not interested in actual clinical drug trials. But there's so many opportunities for them to participate in, in the research that's going on. Wonderful. It's great to hear that there's a lot of different options for people and giving a little more hope when getting a diagnosis. Once you're diagnosed, are there things that you can do early on to plan for your future? We've talked about medical equipment and and getting to the clinic. What are some other things that you should start thinking about as someone who's living with ALS? Um, I think, you know, we always tell people, take the opportunity. I know at first we do give them a lot of space to digest that diagnosis, but really working alongside of your team your care team, and really having your family as much as possible present with you at clinic or at your appointments to really talk about what your wishes are and what you desire to happen and and how, as things progress, the things that you want. So there's lots of different um, resources out there that we make available people. We do have these resource guides that helps walk you through the diagnosis and helps walk you through planning um, in conjunction with the social workers that are at the clinics. I can tell you the social workers that are at these clinics are absolutely amazing. Like I can't tell you um, how knowledgeable they are. I mean, they just are. And um, my team actually, even though I'm a nurse, my team is most of the, well, all of them are social workers. Um, and so we partner together um, with these other social workers to, in the clinics to help make sure that people have what they need. We try to offer them a safe space because sometimes they may not say things to somebody that's in the clinic, but they will, they will feel comfortable speaking with us because we, we communicate with them all the time because of the different programs and services that we offer. So it's really making that connection and really um, talking with your family and planning out and putting things in writing that you wish to happen. Yep, having those conversations and doing that planning early is is always so important in so many regards. We're speaking with Desiree Hodges. She's Vice President of Care Services for the ALS Association North Carolina Chapter, and we'll continue our conversation with her Right after this, you're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. If you have questions for the show, you can email agingmatters at transitionslifecare.org. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas, and we have the pleasure of speaking with Desiree Hodges, Vice President of Care Services for the ALS Association, North Carolina Chapter, for another segment here. She's been so generous with her time. And uh, Mary, we've we've covered a lot of ground, but we still got more to go. Yes, absolutely. I think we've talked a lot about someone living with ALS, and I want to touch a little bit on the caregiver side of things now and kind of change gears because a diagnosis with ALS can be just 
devastating for the caregiver as well. It's it's a life changing moment and, and shift in time. I and um, I just can't imagine the feelings associated with that. And so, Desiree, as a caregiver, are there things that you can do to plan or support your loved one, or do you have any advice for the caregiver side of things? Yes, uh, our caregivers are um, some really, really important people, and. Caregivers, I think the one thing that they have to remember is to always be honest and upfront about how they're feeling as well, because this is not just a disease mm-hmm. for the person. It it does affect the family and really looking at, am I going to have to quit my job? What does that mean for us? And so all of those different stressors are there upfront all the time. So um, I think for for many, there's also there's this depression that goes along with that um, for both the person and both and the caregiver. So I think acknowledging that those feelings may come, those feelings are going to be there, but also reaching out to the resources that are available to them to help navigate through this disease process. Um, also we have support groups. We put, we have nine monthly support groups that we have that's offered. You don't have to register for them. You can literally log on or not even log on, like go onto the website, mm-hmm. click the link of any one of them that you'd like to participate in right now. They're all virtual due to, um, you know, the mm-hmm. COVID and all of that. Uh, what we've learned is that when we turned virtual, um, we've had more participation so even though they're they're set up regionally um so people can go in their area that's kind of the way it was set up um prior to to covid but you can join any of those any of the non-support groups we also have support groups specifically for caregivers um that they can go to there's information support groups there's education provided at those support groups it is just a safe place for people to be able to discuss how they're feeling and all of those different things. We also have peer support, especially for caregivers. A lot of the, it's kind of like matchmaking, speed dating. Mm-hmm. They kind of tell you what they were, what they're looking for and what type of family member they want to be connected with. We make that connection and let that organically happen after that. Um, so that's there for them as well. So it's really key to communicating how you're feeling. You have to care for yourself. Taking advantage of our um, grant program that we have for families, we give up to $750 twice a year for families. And one of the main things that people use that for is caregiving and respite care. Mm -hmm. Um, So our caregivers can pay for someone to come into their homes to, to care for their loved ones while they take a break. They have to be able to care for themselves. This is a physically um, and emotionally draining um, disease for for everyone involved. Mm-hmm. I think that that word is my favorite word to use on the show is respite um, and mm-hmm. respite care. We have a lot of caregivers that listen and I think that it's so important and I'm so glad you touched on it, the, the importance of self-care and getting the rest that you need because it, it, like you said with ALS, it sounds like it's both physically demanding and, and emotionally demanding to, to be a caregiver. So how can we, as the public, our listeners, um, help advocate to defeat ALS? Are there ways to be involved with the ALS Association and everything that you all are doing? 
Yes. So if you visit our website, ALSNC.org, right at that top banner, there's three buttons at the top. The first one is advocate. Um, And so we kind of look at it as like the association, we encourage people throughout the state to fight ALS by becoming an advocate. Um, And our mantra is, it is through our advocacy that together we will create a world without ALS. The actions of Congress and the federal government have a tremendous impact on people with ALS. So it's important that those leaders hear from you. Um, And so once you click that advocacy button, it's so easy. Once you click it, you put in your information, you will get emails. The letters are already written for you. All you have to do is forward that letter on. It will have your name on it. You have, you don't have to type anything. Um, It comes from our national organization with our priorities on it. And it's so simple. It takes like two seconds um, to send, to send that the next way to become involved and help us, uh, is get involved, which is helping us fight ALS. Um, it's becoming a volunteer or um, one of our ambassadors. So there's ways to do that as well. It's to help su- help us out with our different. Um, right now we're in walk season, mm-hmm. yay! Uh, <laughs> so we have six walks a year. So we're finishing up our spring walk this weekend at in Greenville, North Carolina. So we are finishing up. Our spring walk season, we had successful walks in Raleigh and Winston-Salem. And so we're looking to have more success um, this weekend in Greenville. And then our fall walks will be coming up. And so there's going to be more to come about that. But those walks are in Charlotte, Greensboro, and Wilmington. Um, So helping volunteer at one of those events or different events that we have throughout the year. Um, And then our last button is our donate button. So if you feel so inclined to donate, um, all of your funds go directly back to um, the patients or the families that we support. We serve about 900 um, ALS patients uh, throughout the state. In the past 10 years, we've um, given about $2.4 million in financial grants. Um, We support 155 active research projects. Um, It helps with our loan equipment. So just this past year, we loaned out 480 pieces of equipment and all of those different things cost money, of course. So your donations are well utilized. um, And then a lot of those donations also go towards our research um, that our national organization is doing. So any help, anything you'd like, time, talent, anything that you'd like to, to give to us, we will gladly accept. Um, as this is um, a horrible disease, but we have the opportunity uh, to help join the fight. Yeah, and uh, of course, you've outlined those three buttons that folks will see on the website again, ALS.org. Is that where folks should go first? ALSNC.org. ALS. For the state. But yes, you, if you go to ALS.org, it'll have up in the corner um, what state are you looking for? And then you can click North Carolina because we are a part of a national organization and there's different chapters throughout the United States. Um, but it, if you're in North Carolina, it'll, I think sometimes it remembers where you are and it'll take you right to our page. Perfect. ALSNC.org to find more information there. She is Desiree Hodges. 
Vice President of Care Services for the ALS Association, North Carolina Chapter. Desiree, thank you so much for being so gracious with your time today. I thought this was uh, a wonderfully informative subject, and uh, we really thank you for coming on with us. Well, thank you so much for having me. Again, ALSNC.org for more information. And don't forget, you can always go to transitionslifecare.org if you want to find more information and resources about Transitions Life Care. I mentioned this last week, but I want to remind you, if you're looking for career opportunities as well, whether that's nursing or support services, you can go to transitionslifecare.org. Again, plenty of resources there and career information there if you're looking for a new job, transitionslifecare.org. Or if you want to catch up on podcasts, head on over to WPTF.com. Click on the podcast button. From there, you can find Aging Matters. There's plenty of episodes for you to listen to, as well as this current one, if you would like to share it with someone that you know, WPTF.com. Just click on the podcast button. We're taking a quick break, but we'll be right back. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF with your hosts, Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk and Traffic. I'm Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas, and we are going to turn our focus now to retirement living. Mary, you and I, we dream about this all the time. I retirement know, right? living, can't <laughs> wait for it, and senior living communities. Uh, but uh, in all seriousness, we are very pleased to welcome on to the program Colleen Jones. Colleen is a senior living specialist with All About Seniors NC. Colleen, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Oh, thanks, Jason. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you all this morning. This is perfect time for Jason and I to plan our retirement when we uh, just around the corner here. Uh, so, Colleen, maybe you could kick us off. Why are more active adults making these kinds of moves? I know with COVID and there's also a lot of supply and demand issues in the senior living communities. Um, so why are, are people choosing these senior living communities? Well, you know, more active adults are making the move to senior living communities really more as a, a lifestyle change. Um, the environment of independent living communities provides a, an opportunity for individuals to be involved in uh, recreational and social activities. And most are quite diverse that there's something of interest uh, to everyone in the community. Um, this truly allows the older adult to foster new friendships, increase socialization, pursue new interests or hobbies, and, and with these diverse programs, residents can find fulfillment to thrive during their senior years. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I think that's a, a huge reason why um, individuals are doing that. Even, even during COVID, um, you know, there's been a, a great increase in, uh, in depression in, in folks that have been isolated from their families and, and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, these communities are, are truly a great option. Um, they provide maintenance-free living, uh, transportation to medical appointments. Uh, they even have great events and, and uh, activities out in the community. So, I mean, imagine no more yard work or, or home repairs. In fact, there's usually maintenance staff in every building. 
Um, they provide regular maintenance, such as changing, you know, uh, fil air filters, batteries, and smoke de detectors. Um, you know, changing a light bulb even. Um, so should a plumbing or electrical issue occur, and uh, there's maintenance staff right there to assist with that imminent need. Um, so that's that's another great bonus. Um, you know, sometimes you'll see uh, individuals that, that lose their spouse, and, and these things can be daunting or overwhelming to maintain, you know, a, a home. Um, so that's a, another another great reason to, to choose these communities, Mary. That's some, uh, that's awesome, and and something I think isolations a, and the depression and hearing what we were dealing with through COVID. I think these are really important things to think about. You know, some of our listeners have heard about assisted living or skilled facilities. Can you talk to us about really what is a, a senior living community compared to those things? Is there nursing care that's involved in these communities, or is it more like private duty nursing and can bring in those services? Um, what are some of the differences um, between these communities and assisted living and um, skilled facilities? Sure. Yeah. So there, there is a, that is one big uh, difference in assisted living and independent living in that typically uh, active adult or independent living communities will not have 24-hour nursing staff. Um, but most of these communities have partnerships with home care agencies that provide on-site rehab services such as physical therapy, occupational therapy, uh, nursing care, even psychiatric services, which is, you know, a, a huge thing to have an opportunity to, you know, have right there in your community. Um, you know, while the senior moving into uh, an independent community may not currently need any of these services, there's, there's a great peace of mind knowing that if needed, they could too take advantage of the services right there in their own home. Mm -hmm. um, so you, typically those, those types of things are, are as needed, um, not provided, uh, such as nursing duty or medication management, um, that sort of thing, as, as you'd find in assisted living. So folks living in independent living truly are not in need of uh, assistance with activities of daily living, like bathing, dressing, that sort of thing. So they truly are, you know, independent, active adults, uh, looking just for that maintenance-free living. Um, you know, the the communities are mostly apartment-style living. Mm -hmm. So they'll have, you know, full kitchens or kitchenettes. They'll have a washer and dryer. And uh, typically the communities will have like one or two bedroom options um, that have nice patios or porches. So it's, you know, they're, they're truly downsizing, which, you know, we laugh in this community now. We, we hate to call it downsizing. Let's call it right-sizing because <laughs> that's truly, you know, that's truly what people are doing is they're, they're, uh, they're right-sizing, moving from maybe a home they've had with their children for, for many years. So downsizing from a home that's four or 5,000 square feet to maybe 1,200 square feet. So mm -hmm. um, it's a big change. It's a big change, but it's, it's also a, a very healthy one. Um, you know, another great option is uh, the on-site dining. Um, usually there's, there's these fabulous chefs that work in these communities preparing, you know, delicious meals. And they serve them in their well-appointed dining room. You know, yet again, another opportunity for that increased socialization that, um, you know, really everybody needs, but especially our older, older adults. Um, so really, you know, these are most of the, the reasons active adults are making that move to, uh, to a senior living community, Mary. That's very helpful. You've touched on a few of the different amenities you'll find in some of these communities. Can you dive in a little bit deeper about some of the other amenities you'll find in a senior living retirement community? Sure, absolutely. 
Um, you know, retirement homes today are quite upscale um, and provide abundant amenities. Um, even our, our independent living communities that have been around for, for many years are, are keeping up to date with new trends. They're remodeling, that sort of thing. So, you know, you will find a lot of communities have either an indoor-outdoor pool for resident leisure swimming. Um, some even offer scheduled aquatic therapy, which is a really nice thing. Um, along with the pools, a lot of communities have jacuzzis, they'll have saunas, massage rooms. Um, many of them have beauty and uh, barber shops right there, so they don't even have to leave to go get their hair cut, which is, which is a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you'll find lavish outdoor areas as well with fire pits, putting greens, shuffleboard, and I've even seen some that are putting in um, areas for, for folks to play pickleball, which is a very Ooh. popular thing for seniors. Yeah. We love yeah, pickleball. <laughs> yeah. Um, in most communities, they'll have movie theaters. Um, so these are housed right inside where, you know, they'll provide daily movie options. So it's a great thing for residents to grab a friend, catch a show, and not even have to leave their home. Um, let me think what else. So pet friendly. Um, you know, many of our communities are pet friendly. They do have some restrictions and sometimes limit it to, to maybe only two pets in an apartment. But, you know, we all love our, our furry friends and um, it's nice that, that our communities uh, recognize that and allow them to come in. Um, so truly the options and amenities are, are quite unique in, in every senior living community, but you'll find some, some fabulous options out there. You stole the question. I, 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 you know, dogs are very important to me. I just want to make sure that I can bring the dogs since now they're offering pickleball. You know, I'm all in. Um, so right. as long as I can bring my dog, this is this is wonderful. One other thing, um, can you bring your car too? Um, you know, I know some of these, some of the independent living, assisted living, that's a thing. Um, so I assume you can still bring your car and you can get out and go do your grocery shopping and all the things like usual. Absolutely. So. Um, I have not yet seen a community that you can't bring your car. And in fact, most of them will have options um, of garages or carports. Sometimes those are extra rental fees, you know, aside from the apartment rental. Um, But transportation is another big thing that all independent living communities provide. So at, at a given point, a resident may move in, you know, having their own car, but over time it, it may come that they have to give up their license and are no longer able to drive. So right there, um, you know, communities provide transportation to medical appointments. They'll sometimes take folks to church, um, and they'll even have planned activities out in the community. So if a resident is no longer driving, they can go on the scheduled transportation and maybe go pick up a cultural event or go out to lunch with their friends and not have to worry about uh, not being able to drive their vehicle. Wonderful. And Colleen, if folks want to get a hold of you or find out more about All About Seniors NC, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, so uh, my email is colleen at allaboutseniorsnc.com and our main number is 919-830-6478. So I'd be happy to help anybody looking for um, some guidance, uh, needing quality care and senior living solutions for their aging loved ones. We'd love to help out. 
Okay, I'm, I'm just going through the checklist here. So we had the indoor-outdoor swimming pool, the movie theater, pets. Uh, I think you checked off everything for Mary other than uh, a gardening space for her, yes. Colleen. So I think she's going to be hey, calling well, you most soon. most of them have that, too. Yep, well, we can we can, yeah, we can find you a place that has gardening, too, Mary. All right, done. we just got to work on that whole aging side of things. But other than that, Colleen, I, I think Mary's going to be giving you a call soon. She is Colleen Jones, Senior Living Specialist with All About Seniors NC. Colleen, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Jason, Mary, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for your time and have a wonderful day. You as well. That'll do it for us today. On behalf of Mary Lucas, I'm Jason Kong, thanking you so much for listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Have a wonderful day. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.